The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Matthew. Glory Glory to to you, Lord Christ. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. And yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case, a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise be to you, Lord Christ. morning again, everyone, and thank you for being here with us. Let me pray. Father in heaven, I do pray that the words of my mouth, the meditations, the thoughts of all of our hearts would be pleasing to you in these moments, for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're ending and beginning many things in worship today. I've already mentioned to you that baptism marks the beginning of the Christian life, but also many of you kids today marks the end of summer. You're going back to school this next week, and about a hundred or so parents just whispered, thank you, Jesus, under their breath right now. We're also concluding our summer sermon series on the Old Testament book of Proverbs, which we entitled Returning to Reality. So where do we go now? And that was a question that I found myself asking several weeks ago after church. I went to Hat Creek, which is one of my favorite Austin establishments. And it was after church. My family was out of town. I figured I'd just grab something quick to eat. And I, I went inside because the drive through line was way too long. It was about 1,000 degrees outside. So I went inside and I was wearing my church clothes. I mean, not, obviously not my robe. That'd be weird if I strolled in there with that. I'd be like <laughs> Harry Potter strolling in from Hogwarts or something. But I had on my church clothes and there were three little girls with their mom there. And I caught the eye of the youngest little girl. And I said, you look like you went to church. She says, you look like you went to church. And I said, I did. And I asked her mom where they worshiped. And they told me. And I said several complimentary things about their church, a great church. And then she asked me where I worshiped. And I told her, but I didn't tell her I was the senior pastor. At that point, I thought it would be weird. But she said several complimentary things about the church. I thought the conversation was ending, but she kind of kept going on. She knew a lot about our church. And then at some point I thought, if she finds out I'm the senior pastor, this is going to get real awkward because one of the things that she said was, I heard the senior pastor's really young. And, and I thought, well, that means she thinks that the real me looks a whole lot older than the me that she's heard of. And then she said, and I heard his last name's really weird. And I said... Yeah, frickin' Schmidt's so weird. And then my food came, thankfully, and I just grabbed it and left. She's the one person in Austin I hope doesn't visit our church. But at some point I thought, where do I go from here in this conversation? In many ways, that's what we're asking today as we finish this sermon series on biblical wisdom. Where do we go from here? 
So two points this morning, a review of our series, and then secondly, a summary of the book. First of all, a review. Throughout the summer, we've quoted Old Testament scholar Gerhard von Rad, who said that wisdom is competency in regards to the realities of life. So to be wise, you have to have a God-given internal capacity to recognize what is true, what is objectively, honestly true about the world and about us within it, and then also the desire to align yourself with it, like running your hand along with the grain of a freshly cut piece of wood. I use this image for you a lot, but think about it again. Running your hand along with the grain. To your touch, it feels smooth and pleasant and delightful if you move with the grain, but if you pull your hand back against the grain in the opposite direction, it's the very opposite experience. It's rough and painful and damaging even. And with all of the topics that we've discussed this summer, we've really set before you one choice over and over again, which is with the grain of the universe or against the grain. And that in many ways is foolishness or wisdom. And then we also talked about how to get wisdom. And I told you you have to seek it like hidden treasure. Proverbs 2 verse 4 and 5 say, if you seek it, if you seek wisdom like silver and search for it like hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord. You will be wise. And so think about your summer. What is it that you've sought? Philosophers for many years talked about a summum bonum, which just means the highest good. What it is that we really live for, the thing of ultimate value to us that gives meaning and purpose to our lives, that provides us with a sense of identity so that we say, based upon this, this is who I really am. What if your summum bonum isn't real? What if it doesn't align with the grain of the universe, with reality? What does that do to you in your life? Well, Proverbs tells us throughout the book in in many numerous but also colorful ways, much like chapter 11, verse 22, which is a verse that I've printed for you here. Like a gold ring in a pig's snout is a beautiful woman without discretion. You know the band Whiskey Myers? You know this band? They're from Texas. They're from around East Texas, but they play here in Austin fairly often, and they have this song called Broken Window Serenade. This proverb reminds me of it because it's about a beautiful woman. It's profound and tragic. It's about this beautiful woman who's full of life, but for too long, as the song sings, you make your deal with the devil as your looks begin to fade. I saw you laughing through the tears as you slowly slipped away. I watched you go. I thought you should know. And that is this proverb. It's telling us that foolishness doesn't just turn us into disappointments to ourselves or to others, but to monstrosities. Whether male or female, it turns us into something absurd, like a gold ring in a pig's snout. Ecclesiastes, which is the the Old Testament wisdom book that's right after Proverbs, Brent mentioned it to you last week. There's, There's one word that describes the particular end that foolishness leads us to. There's one word, and he mentioned it last week, over and over again, throughout the entire book of Ecclesiastes. You remember that one word? Vanity means vapor, like a, like a breath, a hot breath on a cold morning. It's there and then it's gone. And so what have you sought this summer? You see Proverbs eleven twenty seven here, it says, whoever diligently seeks. Those two words, diligently seek, in Hebrew, it's just one word, the word sahar. And we translate it as seeks, but we oftentimes in English put an adverb before it. So diligently seeks or earnestly seeks or even early seeks, seeks early because it's, 
It's this word sahar, but it's related to the Hebrew word for dawn, sahar. And what the point is, is that we all have something that we get up early for. We all have something that we're willing to rise early for. And the earlier we're willing to get up, that means the more that we desire it. So what is it for you? What, what is your sumum bonum? Because it's not too late to make it wisdom. And after that, after about two weeks on what wisdom is and then how to get it, we moved on to seven aspects of wisdom, kind of like taking a gem, a precious gem, and then twisting it around to see it from different angles. And we talked about speech and friendships and listening, then self-control, ambition, age, and wealth. And for speech, Brent quoted poet Robert Frost, who said, half the world is composed of people who have something to say and can't the other half who have nothing to say and keep on saying it. And I don't know when he said that, but if it was a long time ago, it was very prophetic because that says so much about what our culture is like now. And Brent's point is that our responsibility with our words as Christians outweighs the supposed right that we think we have to say whatever it is that we want. And that was speech. And then I preached on friendship, and I told you that according to Derek Kidner, there are four aspects in Proverbs, four markers of true friendship, constancy, candor, counsel, and tact. Constancy, it's like Proverbs 17, 7, a friend loves at all times. It's always there. Families, they dial in often in bad times. Families can even be reconciled in bad times, but a friend is there at all times, good times, bad times, the mundane, the daily, the ordinary, all times. There's a constancy over time with friends, and there's also candor because true friends aren't flatterers. There are so many proverbs about flattery, including 29 verse 5, which says, a man who flatters his neighbor spreads a net for his feet. That's saying that someone who only tells you what you want to hear and not what you need to hear is not your friend. Not your friend. Because we all go off course. We all have blind spots. We all play the fool at certain times, and oftentimes we can't see it or we won't admit it. Can't admit it or just refuse to admit it. And we just have people around us who say things like, follow your own heart. Do what you think is best. If it seems best for you and you really want it, go after it. You do you which may be my least favorite phrase that's commonly used in our culture today because it really just means I don't care anything about you. I just want you to leave me alone and I'll leave you, you do you. Because you deserve this. You're amazing. So do it. If that's all that we hear, those aren't friends. Because if that's all that we'll hear, we often will and very likely will wreck our own lives. And the lack of candor from these supposed friends will have aided in the wrecking. Proverbs 27, 6 says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. When I preached on that back in June, I imagine that some of you thought, I need to say something about that to my friend. And I wonder if you did. Friendship's not just constancy and candor, it's also counsel, which is the Hebrew word for secret. Because a true friendship reveals all. And then receives all of that which is revealed, good, bad, and otherwise, and still cares for the people who are involved in that friendship. And so do you have anyone that knows everything? If you don't, you may just have companions in life and friendship. And not in friendship, but in life and in work and whatever it is that you do. Because a true friend knows all and receives all. And then finally, tact. 
Tact is respect for another person because you're emotionally connected to them, because you share in life with them. And so whatever it is that you inflict upon them or impart to them, you feel it because you're connected to them. And so you're careful with them. Your tact shapes your candor with your friends. So are you a friend? Do you have friendships? If you do, it's because you listen well, or you've tried to listen well. Your friends listen well because listening is integral to it. That was the next thing that we preached on. Josh went on to preach about listening. And listening is arguably the single greatest, most frequent command or plea in the book of Proverbs, just to listen. This past Sunday, Gage, who's my middle son and also an avid snow skier, he called me into the living room to watch with him this segment of 60 Minutes, which was kind of surprising to me because 60 Minutes isn't exactly a, a show that my boys watch, but it was about a skier a blind skier named Jacob Smith from Big Sky. And he's 15 years old. And his vision is about 2,800, which is four times the legal level of blindness, for blindness. He was born with sight, but about eight years old, he started getting really bad headaches and started bumping into things. And they found this massive cancerous tumor on his brain that was crushing his optic nerve. And so between that, that tumor and the various multiple surgeries that followed, as well as the radiation, it just ruined his sight. But his dad took him back up on the mountain and began skiing with him. His dad would ski right next to him and tell him when to turn and when to stop and when to slow down and when to speed up. And he's had multiple crashes. He's, in fact, ran into a tree and shattered his femur in 60 different places, but he still skis. And he skis along with his siblings even. And the siblings in the segment said that he listened so acutely on the mountain, not so much at home, but acutely on the mountain so that if they even make one slight movement, he responds. He listens in order to ski. And we listen, according to Proverbs, in order to live. If we don't listen, we die in all sorts of different ways. And then I preached on self-control which I told you is the ability to recognize and choose the important thing over the urgent thing or even the ultimate thing over the immediate thing. And after that was ambition and what it means to be a sluggard in the book of Proverbs. And Brent told you that the best things in life tend to require the most diligent effort and hardest work. And then Josh preached about age and the relationship between the young and the old. And he pointed out, I thought very profoundly, that for the first time in history, we live in a culture whose models for imitation are the young rather than the old. Think about that. That's why so many older people imitate younger generations and how they think and act and dress and what they value rather than the other way around. Proverbs 16, 31 says, gray hair is a crown of glory. We don't believe that. Previous cultures did. Previous cultures, boys went to work with their fathers, and now dads leave their work to go and watch their boys play or even practice sports. It's happening right now. I've done it. Friday Night Lights is coming. Dads will be lining the practice field. Why? In part because our ideal modern self is adolescent and not mature. And finally, Brent wrapped up our seven topics of wisdom last week, speaking about wealth. And he simply said, if you don't honor God with your money, you will honor money as your God. And it's true. He's right. And we all know it. We've all seen it. And so that's where we've been this summer in Proverbs. So do you now know wisdom? Because you can. You can be wise. You can know wisdom. So let me give you a quick summary of the book of Proverbs as a whole, and then we'll close. 
our reading from Proverbs 11, the last portion of this chapter, in many ways summarizes the book very, very well. So what these verses say in the end, I think is the main message of the book. And I don't have time to walk through all of these verses with you. So let me summarize the summary just by pointing you to our New Testament reading, which is from Galatians chapter six. The message of those verses there, I think is the message of Proverbs as a whole, which says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever one sows that he will also reap. I imagine we initially hear that as a warning, as something negative and a warning. And it's true because regardless if it looks good or feels good or sounds good now, and even if the crowd or the people, the culture around you is encouraging you or even enabling you, if what you're shoveling down into the soil of your soul are seeds laced with self-absorption and foolishness, then you will eventually reap their fruit because nothing else is planted. Nothing else can come up because that's what you sowed. And so, yes, it is a warning of sorts, but it's so much more than a warning. It's also a principle that's connected with the very character of God. We do reap what we sow because God is just and he's good and he's steadfast and unchanging and he's power in himself and he's patient. So the seeds sown into our souls, if they're imbued with grace and wisdom and truth and goodness and beauty, they will eventually break forth from the surface of our lives and we'll see it. Others will see it, we'll know it, we'll enjoy it. And so too everyone else. So it's not just a word of warning. It's also a word of hope because the truth that you hear and believe and embrace, you will reap. What Proverbs 11 says, including verse 19, whoever is steadfast in righteousness, meaning in this case, righteousness being this path, this right path that aligns with the grain of the universe, that aligns itself with the very character of God. If you continue steadfast down it, you will live. And not just you, but others around you as well. Verse 21, the offspring of the righteous will be delivered. Verse 23, the desire of the righteous ends only in good. Sounds like Romans 8, 28, for whoever loves God and is called according to his purpose, all things, they eventually work towards good. Verse 25, whoever brings blessing will be enriched. Verse 28, the righteous will flourish like a green leaf. Verse 30, the righteous, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. Your words of hope, friends, promise. It's saying that you're not on a fool's errand if you were a Christian. You're not. If you had become a Christian, you wouldn't be embarking on a fool's errand because you in the end will have more than just a warm breath on a cold morning. Not fully and completely in this life, not immediately, no, but yes, significantly and eventually in this life and absolutely in the life to come, you can and will be different. You can be changed. You can be wise. You can have a true, good, beautiful life. You can, but not alone and not on your own power. Galatians 6, verse 8, here's our New Testament reading, speaks about two powers, the power of the flesh, which is our fallen sinful nature within us, the power of sin within, and then also the spirit. And if you are a Christian or you would become a Christian, both powers are in you. And one is yours, it is the flesh, but one belongs to Jesus, and that is the spirit. And Jesus has done everything necessary for the spirit to be the power that rules your life and plants seeds in your soul that grow into eternal life because Jesus is the ultimate sower. That's what our gospel reading is all about, that he is the ultimate sower. 
And he continues to go out and to sow his word, the seed of his word into hearts like ours, foolish hearts like ours that can be changed. And this is the word that he ultimately sows. It's a word about himself. It's the word that says, I am the seed. Jesus is not just the sower. He is also the seed because he went out like a seed being cast. He went out from heaven and he took on human frame in this world. It's like a seed being cast out. And then he was buried into the very soil of this world as he was put in a tomb, having suffered and died on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins because he loves us that much. He loves us that much. If you think about it, Jesus reaped on the cross what we have sowed. John 12 says that as a seed does not bear fruit unless it's put into the ground and dies, so too Jesus. And he's done that. He's done everything necessary for us to be fruitful. And in one respect, you think about the the grace of God being ultimately displayed on the cross and, and the fruit of that coming to us. That means that we might actually and can reap what Jesus has sowed. That is the gospel. He has reaped what we have sown that we might reap what he has sowed because he's defeated sin, death, evil, and foolishness, and he still goes out to sow. He still goes out through the power of his spirit to implant his word into our hearts, and you have his word. You have it. You have words of wisdom. You have words of truth. You have words that are real, words that run with the grain of the universe. So listen. In the end of it all, in the end of Proverbs, listen. Back to Jacob Smith just for a moment. He now competes as a 15-year-old in free ride skiing, which is the most popular and most dangerous form of that sport. It's where you ski chutes, narrow passageways down the mountains, and you, you, you turn and go around and even off rocks and cliffs. You have to climb up past where the lifts in in order to compete and to go down the mountain. Remember, he's blind. He once skied down a a chute that was 1,400 feet long, this narrow chute. That's over a quarter of a mile. It's called the Big Couloir, which is French for for corridor. He's the only legally blind person to have ever done it. It has a 50-degree slope, which means if you fall, you will not be able to stop yourself. He skied it when he was 12, and he did so by listening. When he competes, he puts a walkie-talkie in his jacket pocket. He turns it up as loud as he possibly can. And his dad's down at the bottom of the mountain, looking up and telling him, turn now, turn left, slow down, stop, go. And I watched this 60 minute segment. I thought this is the Christian life. The only way we get down the mountain of this world is by listening. And so listen to God's word. Receive and live out what you hear. Join Jesus in his sowing work and sowing seeds of wisdom into your own soul, into the soul and the culture of that around you. What you hear, believe, and see, and say, and do, make them seeds of wisdom in your home or in your friendships, in your culture at work. Kids, when you go back to school, sow seeds of wisdom in those classrooms and in those friends around you, because the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And so read and listen and pray and speak. Speak to your friends. Deny yourself. Work diligently in good but hard things. Give away that which is yours but which others need. Because when you sow seeds of wisdom, a harvest of life awaits. It awaits for you. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, 
We do pray that we would not simply know about you, but that we would know you. Then knowing you, we would know wisdom. Not just know about it, but know it. Have it within us. Possess it as it is ours because it belongs to you and you give yourself to us. And so we thank you for our time this summer in this book. And we pray, Father, it would be seeds planted deeply within our hearts that we might be fruitful soil and bear much fruit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.